All right, if you would, turn to the Bible now to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Don't you love seeing the kids up here singing? We're a little girl heavy, aren't we? Our student ministry right now is more boys than girls, but that will swing back here in a few years as those kids grow up and become teenagers. Nevertheless, we love seeing that. We do. We love seeing those kids up here. Those of you all that have been working to make that happen, thank you so much. Our series at Christmas time has been Troubled at Christmas. It's been a good study for us. Today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. This is the visit of the wise men or the magi coming to worship Jesus. Before we get going today, I want to say to you that if there is in any way in your life trouble, big trouble, something you're scared about or worried about, something that has to change, sickness, divisions, hatred, debt, frustration, stress, whatever troubles you, the Bible is teaching us that God has provided a solution for that. That God in his great love has sent his son to die in your place, to forgive you of all your sins, to bring hope and joy and meaning to all that your heart longs for. Today, as we study this passage, may your troubles, may your troubles find their solution in the living Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Christmas is about. We didn't intend to preach a negative or a discouraging series at Christmas time, although troubled at Christmas may sound like that, but not, not at all. More so that we would be relevant in preaching the Bible faithfully, that we would be real and honest that life is hard. And to be quite honest, this time of year can often amplify life's struggles. And then in the Bible, we see this theme of troubled. Two weeks ago, we looked at Zechariah being troubled. Last week, we looked at Mary being troubled. And today, we will look at King Herod being troubled. It's been a good study for us. If you would, look with me at Matthew chapter 2. Now, before I start reading Matthew chapter 2, there have been two little themes that have popped up to us over the past couple weeks. The first being, what is it that troubles us? We've already been thinking about that. This is a good gauge for us to see who we are, where we are, where our heart is. What is it that makes us angry when we get angry? What is it that makes us lose our temper and be frustrated when that happens? What is it that troubles us? What troubles us, asking that question, helps us see if we are trusting in the Lord, if we are walking by faith, if we are believing him, if we are turning to him in repentance. The other one is, who do we run to when we are troubled? And this has come up both times. What we turn to in our struggle often reveals to us where our heart really is or what our anchor and foundation is. Do you turn to God when you are troubled or do you turn away from God when you are troubled? Or are you riding that up and down frustration roller coaster that you are only trying to be faithful when things are going well and when things aren't going well, you are not being faithful and you just in your trouble lose faith? This also becomes a good gauge for who we are. So what is it that troubles us, but then also when we are troubled, what do we turn to? 
Today's passage, even more so than the first two weeks, will help us look to this. Read with me, if you will, from Matthew chapter 2 all the way to verse 12. 2, 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, here's our phrase, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, look at this, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and look at this, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What a story. What a passage. What a study for us here just eight days out from Christmas. We have been following four questions in this study to help us walk through what we're looking at. The first is, who was troubled? In our passage here, we see pretty clearly that that's King Herod. King Herod is the king reigning over uh, Jerusalem and Israel, and he was not actually a Jew himself. The Romans had put him into leadership there, and he was the king, and history teaches us that Herod was a very harsh man. He had killed many people. It was his way or the highway. He struggled with temper and anger and frustration. That's the king that we're talking about. Who was troubled? Verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. But that's not the only thing for us to recognize here. This is why it's good to study. I've said this every week. I've said this midweek. But there are details in the story that we don't want to miss too. Look at the second part of verse 3. And all Jerusalem with him. Don't miss that. It's not just King Herod that was troubled at the birth of Jesus. All of Jerusalem was. Everybody there was. It's not just King Herod who was troubled by this searching for the newborn king. Everybody that lived under this king was now worried. Now, there are really kind of two ways to look at this. I don't think there's a very clear answer. One might say that because the newborn king is here, everybody that lived under that king is now worried. Or one might say, if the king's troubled, everybody that lives under the king is troubled. Not a clear way to understand that, but that's still what's going on. King Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled. This didn't seem like a good thing to them. This bothered them. This upset them. This worried them. Last week we said that that was meaning that they were perplexed by it. Mary was perplexed by this. King Herod and all of Jerusalem were like, what? So question number one, who was troubled? Question number two, 
What was it that was troubling? To get specific and to read the Bible in context, let's look at verses one and two again. What was it that troubled King Herod and all of Jerusalem? Well, when King Herod heard this, what the wise men had said, that they came to worship the newborn king, that specifically is what troubled him. Look at verses one and two. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, here's what they said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So these guys are strangers. By all, I mean, almost all certainty, they had never been to Jerusalem before. They had never seen these people. Those people had never seen them before. They're just random guys that have shown up. Now, they're magi or they're wise men. They were involved with, like, intellectualism. They were involved with, involved with reading the stars. They were involved with some magic, that sort of thing. You know, history and some of the Psalms will tell us we three kings. There's not necessarily to think that they're kings. They were magi. But they've showed up here and they're just walking into Jerusalem going up. Where's that new king at that was just born? We saw the star and we're here to worship him. Well, that alone is a little bit odd, right? Nobody says, where's that baby? I'm here to worship him. We got a lot of babies in our church. We got a lot of babies on the way in our church. And we're, we're thrilled for that and we're excited. We can't wait to serve those families and love on them and hold the babies and laugh with them and all of those things. But one thing that hasn't crossed your mind with all these babies is I can't wait to worship it. See, this is unique in every way. This has never happened before. A newborn king like this, the virgin birth, the fulfillment of the prophets of what God had been promised long ago. And so they show up and they say, hey, where's he at? Because we're here to worship him. It's that expression. It's that question. It's that statement. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. That troubled Herod. I want to think about this for a second. Should he have been troubled by this? And that's the big question. And I hope that over the next few minutes, your mind will really, really, really wrestle with that. Should he have been troubled here? In Jesus' coming, he wasn't trying to change King Herod's role. He was trying to improve on it. King Herod didn't have to stop being king because the newborn king had been born. Not at all. But I also want us to see that this is really special that these magi have traveled far. We try to make this emphasis every year when we go through this. This, this little scene right here in Matthew chapter 2 is not right at the birth of Jesus. You've probably heard that before. At this point, Jesus is not a, a, a newborn. And I know a lot of our books and a lot of our movies will make it seem like that the Magi showed up there at the same time as everybody else and the shepherds. And all of our nativity scenes have that, right? The gifts and the shepherds and the wise men. And we at least try to maybe put them on different sides, right? But this was later. They traveled from far. There's several clues that teach us that. One is that, remember, Herod says, okay, when was the star and when was he born? And Herod concludes we need to kill everybody to and under meaning he thinks Jesus could have been anywhere from one to two years old, okay? And there's other clues like that, not to mention how far they had to travel. They didn't take a plane to get here, okay? But these guys came with devotion because they wanted to worship the newborn Savior. We can't miss that. What Herod is troubled by, other people are thrilled other people are sacrificing and going and doing whatever it takes 
Tony Evans, in his commentary on this, says, These men had traveled an incredible distance for perhaps as long as two years to worship this king. But they knew that he was worth the journey. Isn't that a good phrase? They knew that he was worth the journey. He asked the questions, how much are you willing to be inconvenienced to worship the king of kings? How badly do you want to worship Jesus? What a good thought. The very thing that was troubling King Herod was driving and motivating these three wise men. May that be a lesson for us there. Nevertheless, who was troubled? It was King Herod. What was troubling him? It was this shocking, honestly, to him, this shocking announcement that there's a new king that's been born and people were coming from out of town to worship him. That troubled Herod. Question number three What was his response to being troubled? And this is where it it gets good. What was the response to him being troubled? Well, I say it gets good, it gets interesting, it gets really bad first. Herod sought to find out where this was going on. Herod wanted to kill this newborn baby king. Now, I told you that he was already harsh and crooked. You see a little bit of this here with how he was being deceptive. He reaches back out to the wise men and says, okay, tell me a little bit more. I mean, when was the star and when was this supposed to happen? And says, you remember it says right there in verse seven, he summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And then he says to them, go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod tries to act like, oh, it's great, man. We're glad you guys are here. Why don't y'all tell me more about it? Find me where he is, and, and, and then I'll worship him with you all. He's lying about that. He's ravaging in his heart. It's not a good thing, but he's acting like it is. Don't miss that the Bible does teach us that this king wanted to kill that king. This king, to put it, to put it rather simply and clearly, felt insecure when the king of kings had shown up. I think that's really kind of the underlying theme of what's going on here. It kind of messed King Herod up. He was able to be this mean and dictator type king of he'll do whatever he wants to do, he'll kill whoever's in his way if there's no God over him telling him what it looks like to do good and be just. But the newborn king that's king of the Jews is putting King Herod on notice. Although the baby's not doing anything, it's just an announcement of it. And it has all of a sudden made King Herod very insecure. Folks, this is a parable of our day. We get insecure when God and his goodness and God and his love and God and his truth enter into our world. And it is the time where we should lean into him knowing that he receives sinners. I thought Andrew Crawford did a fantastic job today. I hope you noticed. We sang back to back today, oh come all ye faithful and oh come all ye unfaithful. Did you notice that? Back to back. Well done, Andrew. That's awesome. And in O Come All Ye Unfaithful, we are reminded, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, it doesn't matter how broken down or how troubled you are, you come to him and see what God has done in Christ in offering up his son to die for all of our sins and troubles. 
God is not saying, come to me and get right. God's saying, look what I've done through Christ. Be forgiven, receive my love. Know that I have answers for you, solutions for you, and I'll give you peace on the inside. The insecurities that you and I deal with cause us to ask, are we going to ignore those or run from those or try to block God out, not let God know about those? It's a parable for each and every one of us. Herod, simply because a baby's been born in his town, why didn't he write him a letter? Why didn't he go visit him? Why didn't he take a gift? Oh, no. It broke out all of his insecurities. Herod was messed up, you might say. So he becomes deceptive and crooked and evil, and he wants to kill the baby. Let me show you just a couple places where this is very clear. We're not studying these verses today, but you'll see it. Look at verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. Look at this. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Does everybody see that? Herod is about to try to kill the baby. He's about to try to destroy him. Then look over to verse 20, 220. We'll start at verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Look at this final statement. For those who sought the child's life are dead. There's no question about it in 213 and 220 that Herod was wanting to kill the baby. He was lying about it. He said he wanted to worship them too. And God intervenes here and and tells them in a dream and so all that's avoided. It's really bad. Herod did actually kill all the children too. Look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Think about how insecure he is here. Some visitors to his town are looking for a baby, and now there's all these babies being killed. He was so insecure over God and his goodness And instead of going to God to have his sins forgiven and his struggles comforted or at least helped, he went the opposite direction. It wasn't good. Commentator Glover points out on this very passage, Herod was more interested in saving his throne than he was in saving his soul. Folks, that's where insecurities come to a head, isn't it? When you and I become more concerned about our own status, our own identity, than we are through the identity that God can give us, that's when we rebel. And we may have gotten pretty good at hiding or covering up the rebellion that's going on inside of us, but it's still rebellion even when the heart rages. Herod was wrestling with this. This was all under the response to him being troubled. He was upset about it, to be honest. He didn't like it. But another thing I want to point out here in this passage, because it is just remarkable and beautiful, is how did the angel, and how did God know what Herod's ulterior motive was? Notice that Herod tells them, yeah, let's find out where he is. This is great. I want to come worship him too. And while all of that's being played out, God sends an angel to just get in the way. How did he know that? 
Well, I'm stating the obvious here, but it's good to point it out. God knows everything. And God sees everything. Even when the Bible tells us the intentions of our heart. If I say to you, hey, you you look nice today, but on the inside I'm thinking, she's ugly. God knows that. God knows that. And if you're acting like you worship King Jesus, but you don't, God knows that too. If you act like you're his, but your heart's not surrendered to him, God can tell. I can't tell, to be honest. I can't. I'm not really sure why y'all are here today, but God knows. This passage teaches us this. Another thing that I want to point out here is Herod asks, where is he supposed to be born? You know, there's a little, bit of, a little bit of confusion here of like, did this completely blindside them? Like the wise men show up and they're like, uh, we're here to worship the king of the Jews. And I think your initial thought is, that came out of nowhere. We have no idea what they're talking about. And a lot of times, you know, books and, and movies will present it that way. But, but it's not that way. Jerusalem and the Jews now then have always known God sending us a savior. God sending us a savior. That is on the front of all of their minds. We need a savior. God's promised his Messiah and it's coming. And you can kind of see this because when he asks, verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and, and, and assembling, look at verse four, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So immediately, King Herod is thanking Savior. He's not so much thinking, oh, the next politician has been born and he's probably gonna have an election here as soon as he's old enough and I'm gonna lose my seat. I mean, that may be in play, but that's not the biggest thing in play. Herod's mind is already going to, this is God's savior. And so he asks, he, he doesn't know where. He should know, right? You know, these little kids that sang no, he's born in Bethlehem, right? He should know, but he doesn't know. And so he asks. Where is is the Christ to be born? And just like that, immediately in verse five, they told him. Look what it says. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew it right away. This is a quote from Micah. There were people under Herod's reign, there were people that served the king that knew what God had promised. There were people right there that knew what the Bible said. They knew the truth. Commentator Morris kills it. Listen to this. Herod's experts came up with a speedy reply. This is interesting for we read in John's gospel of an opinion that nobody knows where the Christ will come from. But, Such views were not found with Herod's men. For them, it was quite clear that Bethlehem was the place. Keep following me. And they were able to quote scripture to make their point. Thus, they showed, as commentator Ritterboss points out, that their failure to believe was not due to ignorance. 
Israel knew precisely where the king of the Jews would be born. But, listen to this, it was the Gentiles who worshiped him first. Amen. That doesn't really come into play until Acts chapter 2. And we miss it a lot, don't we? The first people, maybe other than the shepherds, to bow down to King Jesus. Some traditionally Asian guys that traveled from afar, that didn't have the Old Testament promises. They had a star from God convincing them in their hearts, that's my Savior. That's good. The Jews quoted like that. Yeah, I know. Micah says he'll be born in Bethlehem, but they weren't there to bow down. But the wise men were. Remarkable. See, this is why you study, because you dig and you find things like that, and you're like, wow, that's really good. That's really, really good. So number one, who was troubled? King Herod and all Jerusalem with him. Number two, what was troubling? It, when he heard what the wise men said, we've come to worship the newborn king. What was the response to being troubled? Rage. Let's kill him. Let's get rid of the baby. Let's get rid of this one. Lastly, number four, and we get to the most important part. What was the comfort? In the trouble that this passage is feeling, what was the comfort? With Zechariah, we saw the comfort coming by the promises being fulfilled, and the angel told him, and the baby, the baby came, John the Baptist. With Mary, we saw the comfort was that, that she believed. You know, Zechariah didn't believe for a little bit, and he got a slight discipline. Mary believed, and it was going to be God's, God's son, and, and, and then that was fulfilled too, and so there's comfort there that, God, te teaches his, God keeps his promises. While both of those kind of have a beautiful ending with Zechariah and John and Mary with Jesus, this one not so much. This is the first of our three where Herod seems to find no comfort. For Herod, there was no comfort to his trouble. The Bible tells us he rages. The Bible tells us he's tricked. The Bible tells us he becomes furious. He kills all the babies that are two and under. And the next thing we hear in verse 19 is that he died. But what is the comfort to this trouble? Because the Bible tells us that all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. The comfort is that Jesus is a king, a good king, the eternal king. He is the fulfillment of all kingship and kingdom discussion throughout the history of the world and in the Old Testament. He is the king after the line of David and the king on the throne forever. He will reign forever and ever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The comfort is that Jesus is a king, and that should comfort you. He is a king that desires to be king over you. He's a king that came and gave his life for you so that he could reign over you. The wise men understood this. Herod and Jerusalem didn't, but the wise men did. Jesus is a king, and that's a good thing, and it's good for me. Herod heard that he was a king and thought this is a bad thing. Jesus being king is good for all. J.C. Ryle commenting on the, on the wise men coming in. Well, first let me read to you the wise men coming in. Look in your Bibles. Uh, look at verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. This is a remarkable scene here. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They're being led to the Savior. And going into the house, there's another one of those little clues. They're no longer in some random manger. They're now in their house. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother. And don't miss this. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, expensive, costly, valuable gifts fit for a king. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. J.C. Ryle commenting on this said, they believed in Christ when they had never seen him. But that was not all. They believed in him when the scribes and the Pharisees weren't believing. But that again is not all. They believed in him when they saw a little infant on Mary's knee and they worshiped him as a king. This was the crowning point of their faith. They saw no miracles to convince them, maybe other than the star. This was no, uh, they heard no teaching to persuade them. They beheld no signs of divinity and greatness to overawe them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant, helpless and weak, and needing his mother's care like any one of ourselves. And yet, when they saw that infant, they believed. They believed that they saw the divine savior of the world and they fell down and worshiped him. Church, I know that there's a million reasons why you and I could give excuse of why we're not worshiping Jesus right now. And sometimes we give those excuses. But the truth is, he's worth it. And over and against every obstacle and challenge and difficulty and excuse we might have, you and I should bow down to Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is worthy. This week, we've been acting like it's Christmas break already, although JCPS is going to school all the way until Christmas. So we've been watching some Christmas movies at night. And we watched Home Alone. But we also watched the Star movie this week. Y'all seen the Star movie? If you haven't seen the Star movie, I'd encourage you to watch it. It's a kid's movie. It's animated. It's, 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 it's this story from animals' perspective. It's cute, okay? Let's say that. And if you're not into those cute little kid movies, then just tough it out for one hour. Because at the very end, the very end, there's a lot of funny scenes. At the very end, the wise men get there. And the light is shining on Jesus. And the wise men bring their gifts. And they bow down before him. And they praise him as the one worthy and glorious. As their savior king forever. And the movie does what movies do. It makes that moment great. And all of the animals, see they too have the wise men in the manger. All of the animals bow down too. It's an awesome scene. And while it's a cute little kid's movie that made us laugh and smile, at that moment it stirred my heart that the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, who gave everything for us, is worthy for you and I to worship him. We don't know much about these magi wise men, but we know this. They worshiped Jesus, and that's 
right. What was the comfort? Jesus is the king that you and I need. See, this is what stings so much about Herod. Jesus didn't come saying, all right, all kings better get out of town because you're no longer the king. Jesus is the king of the universe. He's the king over kings. Jesus would have made Herod a better king if Herod would have trusted in Christ, but his insecurities messed him up. Jesus didn't come to make you stop being you if you're a dad. He's not trying to make you stop being a dad. If you're a man, he's not trying to make you stop being a man. If you're a business owner, he's not making you stop being a business owner. If you're tall, he's not going to make you stop being tall. If you're rich, he's not going to make you stop being rich. Jesus came as king to reign over your heart, to get you to surrender so that God working in your life would make you beautiful and glorious to the world the way Christ is to be. That your life would witness to him, that your life would show people God is real and we're supposed to worship him. Herod was so messed up by this and insecure that he thought, I got to get rid of that king when the truth is you don't need to get rid of God in your life. You need to surrender to God in your life. King Jesus will make every one of our lives better. He's the answer. Jesus is the king. He is king over everything. And Christmas is showing us this. We love Mary and Joseph. We love angels and shepherds. And we love all of these key ingredients. But you and I cannot miss that the wise men from the east, those Gentile travelers from far, came to worship him. Christmas is about worshiping Jesus. But Christmas is only the beginning of the story, and you know that. Jesus came to die. And he would grow up, not be that cute little baby, become his own man, live his life, teach the world, serve well, love everybody, and give up his life for us. Christmas is about him coming for that. And the only way you can bow down to worship him is for you to believe that you're the sinner that needs to be forgiven by King Jesus. And for you to believe that in running from Jesus is not the way you make him king of your life. Running to him is the way you make him king of your life. Trusting in Jesus. Tim Keller, who passed away this year, has written a little book called Hidden Christmas. It's a real small one. If you can find it, it's kind of hard to find. We found it at the used bookstore here in Louisville. All he's doing in this book is pointing out some small little details that are in the Christmas story that are often missed, but it's excellent. I want to read to you a few parts. The account of deception and fear, bloodshed, injustice, and homelessness he's talking about Matthew 2, is all too familiar. Great evil is abroad in our world. However, when we ask where that evil comes from, controversy erupts. At one end of the spectrum, there are those that say the rich and the powerful are the ones to blame. This view of things tends to make the poor and the minorities the heroes of the world's story. At the other end of the spectrum are those who insist that immoral and irresponsible people are the main problem with our world. This tends to make hardworking, decent, middle-class people the heroes of the story, and both the shiftless poor and the immoral elites the villains. At first sight, our text seems to side more with the first theory. After all, Herod was an unjust ruler, abusing his power, slaughtering the innocent. And indeed, one of the great themes of the Bible is that God is against those who oppress the poor. However, the full teaching of the Bible, listen to this, is that the source of the world's evil is every human heart. 
This is where Tim Keller is so excellent. King Herod's reaction to Christ is, in this sense, a picture of us all. Does everybody hear that? King Herod's reaction to Christ is, in this sense, a picture of us all. If you want to be king, and someone else comes along saying that he is the king, then one of you has to give in. Only one person can sit on the absolute throne. King Herod wrestled with that, and he went the wrong way. Keller goes on, according to the Bible, the evil of the world ultimately stems from the self-centeredness, the self-righteousness, and self-absorption of every human heart. Each of us wants the world to orbit around us and our needs and desires. We do not want to serve God or our neighbor. We want them to serve us. In every heart, then, there is a little King Herod that wants to rule and that is threatened by anything that may compromise its omnipotence and sovereignty. Each of us wants to be the captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate. King Herod was king, and God would help him be king if he would have surrendered to him. And each and every one of us has a life filled with responsibility, and God, too, would help us be who we are for his glory. What was the comfort that Jesus had come to be the answer to all the world's troubles? The first week I quoted John 16, and we'll quote it again right now. Jesus Christ said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Whatever it is that troubles you or may be troubling you, would you surrender fully to Christ? Would you bow down and worship him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God and your word in Matthew chapter two. We thank you for the wise men, God, that they came from afar and they bowed down. God, we love the encouragement and the inspiration that we have that they came to worship him. And we are challenged here today, God, to worship you. Oh God, do that work in us. Father, help us to be honest about where we run to and where we run from and what troubles us. And help us, dear God, to look deeply inside to see if we are trusting in you. God, we thank you for our Savior. We thank you for Jesus that came to us. And we pray, dear God, that you would work in our hearts. Help us, God, to surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today...